And Jeff, I really appreciate the uh, your praise and worship today, and uh, just what all the the songs that he chose and everything I think work really well with our message today, with our series, in fact. And um, one of them was, you know, Lord, you know, move these mountains, you know, these mountains that cannot be moved, and and that kind of thing. As I was sitting back there, and I'm thinking about our message, I thought, you know, for the people that were in captivity in Babylon, what songs did they sing during that time? Could it have been their version of, you know, uh, move these mountains, you know, the mountains that seem unmovable, Lord, move them? I'm sure that they did. I mean, when we think about it, we're singing praise and worship. We're singing songs that bless the Lord. We're singing songs that that bless our own hearts. That's nothing new. And so I just had to think, what songs were being said during that time in captivity? And you know they are. If you read the Psalms, you see so many things that David wrote, poured out his heart. You know, there are songs in, in throughout the Bible. And so think about that. What did they sing as they were going through a rough time? Because they did. What did they sing as they were celebrating? Just, just that thought occurred to me. So as as we prepare to hear today's message, I was thinking about it, but I was also thinking it was the end of summer. Now, I love fall time. I like when the temperatures cool down and everything, but it's like the end of summer always seems to be a little of a bummer. You know, the kids are going back to school. Some of you are saying hallelujah and amen, but, uh, you know, they there, there becomes more of a routine maybe. There's something relaxing about summer and, uh, you know, seeing all the birds, seeing the beautiful flowers and the trees and all that. So I kind of get a little bit sad. And so I was thinking about that and it reminded me of something I've seen uh, years and years before. And I'm going to share it with you today about, about Ohio and the seasons that we experience here in Ohio. Uh, Ohio has a climate that is easy to make fun of, actually. Um, and, you know, there are some states that to us at least seem like, you know, they're pretty much, yeah, you've always got, you know, 100 degree heat or whatever. But but in Ohio, we have some fluctuations. And so I had seen this a long time ago. Ohio has four seasons, winter, more winter, still winter, and road construction. And guess what? We, yeah, <laughs> let me hear an amen. We are in road construction right now. And there was a time, I think it was just a few months ago, I could not get here from, from where I lived at the time in Westerville without encountering construction. It just was not going to happen no matter where I went. And then they keep putting in these roundabouts. I'm telling you, I hated it. I, uh, where I work, they were putting in a roundabout, and they let us know. And it never is when, when they say. It's like, okay, in the spring, we're going to start on this. It'll be done fall of, you know, well, two, three years later, it still hadn't been done. But I kept this, this notice tacked up on my little cubicle there to remind me this roundabout was coming. I only lived at that time a mile from my office, and it was just a straight shot, just down the road and turn left. But no, now they're putting in this roundabout, and uh, I'm like, I'm not taking that. And I was like going to, I had made up my mind, I was going to go like a few miles out of my way just to avoid it because I was afraid. I was afraid of it. Well, guess what? The roundabout did finally come to be, and I used it every day. Once I figured it out, I used it. And so they're not quite the nemesis to me that they used to be. But yeah, definitely the road construction. Winter, more winter, still winter, and road construction. 
those are our, our seasons. I've seen something now where there's like 12 seasons, and I, you know, that's okay. We can talk about that another time. But there's also a day, a day in Ohio. And it's a, I just saw this post on Facebook, like within the past week or two. Welcome to Ohio, it says. Winter is at 6 a.m., spring starts at 10 a.m., summer is at 2 p.m., and fall starts around 4.30-ish. Dress accordingly. Is that not the truth? I mean, you don't know. Like, I, I know these mornings have been waking up and... You know, you gotta you gotta shut the window. I like having the window open, but you gotta shut it because it's so chilly out at night and everything. But then that sun starts, and you know, by the end of the day or you know midday and everything, you're whoo, and then it starts to chill off. And that is just in a day. How do you dress for that? You know, we all have to dress in layers, right? You know, we got we got a tank top, got another shirt, got a, a sweatshirt, whatever. So anyway, that is our glorious state. But I'm glad to be here. I, I don't think I'd want to be any anywhere else. So anyway, help us, help us, Lord. Well, a few weeks ago, Pastor Ashley started a series, Embracing Babylon. And I'm honored and happy to be able to continue that series with you today. So I'm going to give you a a brief recap uh, from Pastor Ashley. And it was 500 years before Jesus, Israel was taken into exile in Babylon. This was one of the hardest things that ever happened to Israel. But somehow, even though it was the hardest, it was also the best thing that ever happened to them. They came out stronger than ever as a people and with God. And why? Because they embraced it. They embraced that time. And God taught them how to embrace this captivity in Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 29. Now I'm going to read the verses to you quickly and we'll get into our message. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. Just a lot there. And I know Pastor Ashley has already gone through several of those verses. And today, we're going to focus on verses 10 and 11. I think they're familiar to all of us, or most of us anyway. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Familiar passage of scripture there, especially that where I know the plans I have for you. I, I have done this, and perhaps you have too. Uh, I have actually misunderstood or maybe not thought deep enough for this particular passage. We might have, like like me, maybe you have written this verse in a card or a note to somebody. They're maybe about to embark on something fresh and new, you know, a new baby being born. Oh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, you're just graduating from college or just starting a career. Or just well, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We encourage each other with that, and it's fine. We should. But when we look at it in context, we see that there is a much deeper and, in fact, better meaning than just, oh, everything's happy and what a future you have. There's something a whole lot deeper than that going on. And I think as we explore that, we might appreciate that much more. So let's dive in. We're going to go back. As you know, Israel had been taken into Babylonian captivity, and that was a result of their disobedience. And we've talked about that a few weeks ago when I spoke, how there was a cycle of, you know, Israel disobeying and God judging them and going around. This was, this was it. They were in Babylon, and this was not going to be a quick fix, okay? And the people actually had false prophets among them who were proclaiming that God was going to free Israel, probably in about two years. Oh, we got this. You know, yeah, we're here, but it's not going to last long. And thus says the Lord, we're out of here. That's what they were hearing. And guess what? Do you think that's what they wanted to hear? Yes. That's what we want to hear. Okay, yeah, this is rough, but you know, we're going to skip over it and we're going to move on. That's what we want to hear. But Jeremiah came in and threw water all over that. Um, he confronts this lie with the painful but honest truth. Because what if, you know, one, two years went by and it's still happening? And that's what they were really clinging to was, but, but we were supposed to be done by now. You know, what's going on? Now, he had to tell them the truth, and he did. And he said, this season of captivity is going to last 70 years. Now, listen, at my age, hearing you're going to be here for 70 years, for me, that's a life sentence. Because 70 years from now, I'm not going to be here. Uh, some of us might be, the, the, the really young ones and everything, but if we're real about it. So hear that, because there were not just, you know, teenagers there. It was everybody. You're going to be here for 70 years. So for some of them, it was like, okay, this is, this is it. This is it. A life sentence. But it doesn't mean that God did not have good plans for everyone there. Everyone. He wasn't saying, oh, you know, you guys, 50 and up, sorry. You know, he's not saying that. I know the plans I have for you, he's saying, for you. So they took this to heart. It was indeed the best thing that could happen to them right then and there because they were going to come out as a people stronger than ever before because they accepted this time and they embraced this time. And how did they do that? They developed faith. They resolved to trust the Lord. You know, the Lord was telling them, look it, go on with your life. Plant crops, raise them, raise your children, have them marry and have children. He's telling them, go on with life. 
Look to me. Go on with life. I have a plan. I am in control, even during this time. So I'd like to think that the people did not sit and go, woe is me, and just hide under a rock for a while. No. He told them, go and, and do this. Keep living. And that's how they came out stronger than before, because they followed the Lord and they trusted in what he said. I have a plan. A plan that's good for you, to give you hope, to give you a future. So with that in mind, let's move to the New Testament and to the book of Hebrews. Now, when I'm doing something like this, you know, I try to do a little extra, you know, like, who wrote the book of Hebrews, I was wondering to myself. And I did a little bit of research, and they really don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. You know, a lot of times we think New Testament, a lot of it was written by Paul. Paul did not write this. For a while, some thought it, but it's not really in his style. So we don't know who wrote it, but whoever did, it was someone that had a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament and also had a very eloquent way to express things. Um, and, and, uh, and we see that in uh, verses 11 and 12. And that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to do a quick review. I'm going to touch on some verses in Hebrews 11 um, because it's like 40 verses long. And so I, I don't want to, but I would encourage you to go back and read that verses, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and, and 12, just read them. But in 11, just touching, fa uh, touching base on this, this is like, I've heard some, you know, it's called like the hall of faith because it starts listing people throughout biblical history and the faith that they showed. It was kind of like the superstars of, of faith, you would say it. I, that's a terrible way to say it. But anyway, this was, examples that all of them knew, all of them could uh, remember and identify with. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It starts out right away with something that we all exercise faith in. God created something out of nothing. So by faith, we start right with that. The universe was formed at God's command. So right away it focuses on his power and, and his infinite uh, knowledge and power and love. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Dropping down to verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. How many would say that would really take faith? I want you to build this. Never had never rained. They didn't know anything about that. Think about the faith. Okay, so by faith Noah, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And a few verses down, by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. All these people because it lists several there, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive, listen to this, they did not receive the things they had, the, the things promised. They only saw them 
and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All these that had faith, they didn't receive all that. They were just looking ahead to what was promised by faith. I didn't include this initially uh, in the next part of the, the verse, but I this morning, Lord kind of put it on my heart. If you continue in that chapter... Like, you know, we're saying, oh, yes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, you know, and all that. But if you go down, it gets even darker. It starts talking about uh, the prophets and stuff. And I just want to jump down to 36 and 37. Some, just the things that people endured by faith. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And verse 38 just really speaks to me. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. They went through all of this by faith. This was before Jesus. Okay, This was happening before Jesus had come. But they knew God had made a promise to deliver them, and they were willing to go all the way to the grave knowing that and trusting in him. The world was not worthy of them. That is heavy to me. That is deep. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned for something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect? There was a plan, and we got to be part of it. We're on the other side. We know Jesus came, and he died, and he rose again. They were still looking for all of that. Think about the faith. The world was not worthy of them. So all of these had faith. They trusted Father God had plans for their welfare and not for evil, but to give them a future and a hope. And they persevered because their trust was not in man, not in themselves, not in in their king or whoever their leader, their trust was in the Lord. Let's jump to Hebrews 12. And we're just going to focus on a couple of verses here today and then go back to our original text. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, and it's like considering what we all just read, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, and lose heart. We're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. So let's be encouraged by that. 
Now, you know, I, I said it today, but you know, I've worked with John Musgrave. He's been a friend of mine. He was my pastor for years before that. And he has some phrases that he says, and I'm actually going to borrow one today. He, he says, I would like to suggest, or can I suggest? So can I suggest to you that faith and trust go hand in hand? And at the beginning of Hebrews 11.1, 1, it gives a definition of faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Great definition of faith. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. Trust. To trust in the Lord means more than believing in who he is and what he says. Because a lot of people, well, yeah, yeah, I know there's a God. You know, a lot of people can believe there's a God uh, and, and they know he says things and everything. But to trust means having an assurance that leads to action, having an assurance that changes the way we act, the way we think. You know, in, in Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So faith, we have confidence and hope and assurance. Trust is we are trusting you, and it leads us to action to do something about it. Hand in hand, faith and trust. So I just want to, um, just kind of as a, a review, and maybe a way to help us to remember this and to stay, uh, you know, keep this in our hearts and think about it. I want to use the word trust and give us some points to follow. And the first is the letter T. And that for me, is throw off the weights. If we look at Hebrews, those first few uh, verses in, in Hebrews 12, we're going to break them down by this. Throw off the weights. Hebrews 12, 1a. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Think about when you're watching um, a track meet. Uh, whether it's like, I, my mind goes to the Olympics because I don't always watch things like that. But when you're watching those racers, they are not wearing jeans and a t-shirt, are they? They have, they, and they've got, they've got special shoes. They're not wearing clunky boots or anything like that. They are wearing something that is built for speed and endurance. Okay, They're, usually it's very form-fitting clothes, um, you know, and all of that, there's a reason for it, to increase the speed, to decrease the friction. They just want to go as fast and as far and as long as they can. So that's it. It makes sense. Throw off. Like when we're talking about being in, in the race of life, we need to think like that. Like what is on me that I don't need? What is hindering me? from running this race? What weighs me down? For me, that can be worry and anxiety. You know, I, I start to get a little bit worked up about something. I have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got to throw that off. Throw it off. i got to throw it off every day sometimes. But we've got to throw off the weights that are going to hinder us if we're trusting God. The next is R, run the race. So, okay, we've thrown it off. We don't just stand there. The gun is fired and we're off, okay? Run that race with perseverance. Run out the race that's marked for us. When we've thrown off those weights, we can go and we should go with confidence. Just run that race one step at a time. Run that race one lap at a time. Run the race that's marked out for us. 
The next you, unite with Jesus or understand. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And I see fix your eyes. You ever see this like on, on movies? This always cracks me up when they're doing that. <laughs> and that has a few meanings. See, for me, it was like, okay, do you see me? Are you, you know, are we, are we together? It also is look at me, you know, <laughs> pay attention, that kind of thing. Or I'm watching you. That could be that too. But when I'm thinking that, it's like fix our eyes. You know, if you really, if someone's saying something really important, if you're saying something really important to someone, what do you want? You want eye contact. You want to be able to see each other face to face. If someone's saying something like that to me, if I'm saying something like that to someone else, I want, there's got to be that eye contact. We've got to fix our eyes. And that's what we need to do with Jesus. If we're going to run this race, then we've got to watch that we don't start going off the beaten path. And how do we do that? We fix our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes focused on him. Think about his word. Pray to him. Be, be in communication. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't get swayed to the left or right. Something that might be a shortcut or something that might seem more appealing. No, fix our eyes. So we have to unite with him. We have to get to know him enough that we know, okay, this is, this is the way that the Lord's telling me to go. Unite with him. Get understanding of him and his word. And we can do that through the power of his Holy Spirit and through the power of his word. So we throw off the weights, we run the race, we unite with Jesus, and we stay the course, S. Stay the course, stamina. And we've been using that race analogy here, but life is not a little sprint. It's not, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a, a track person or anything, but it's not a 500-meter race. It's a, it's, a, it's a marathon. In fact, I was thinking about it again this morning. It's more than a marathon. Have you ever seen, do you know anybody? Because I do. I forget what it's called. Mud run, I think it is. That they do a mud run. Have you ever seen that? There, you, you do, yes. And, and I'm thinking, that would be the coolest thing ever. When you're done, you are a mess. You're covered in mud. And I think part of it, at least the one that my friend Kelly uh, went through, there was a part where you got to jump over flaming logs. You know, you jump like through this, you know, I mean, it's not like a big fire, but you know, it's like, it's tough. Okay? You're running long. You're running hard. You're running like not on the best level ground. You're running. It's a marathon and all these things, but it's hard. And that's what we're running. Because life is messy, and, and life goes up and down, and there's rocks in the path, and different things that can hinder us. So we've got to stay the course, though. We've got to have stamina. And how do we do that? We look at Jesus for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. I'm going to tell you, any path we're going on pales in comparison. He knew what was going to happen. He knew it, and he, for the joy set before him, he looked past it to you and me. He looked past it to you and me, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished that race. So we need to stay the course. We need to have the stamina. You know, that's why we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because that's the only way we're going to have the stamina to go through. You know, are we facing, you know, a, a physical cross? No. Do we face hard and discouraging times? Do we face pain? Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know what? We need to have the stamina, trusting the Lord to just push through, stay the course. Do not let yourself get discouraged and fall off the wayside. That's the last thing you need. Stay the course. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and that will help you to stay the course. And finally, think on the Lord. These kind of all run together, but think on the Lord. Don't just read your Bible in the morning or, you know, um, so I, I listen to it a lot on, on my Bible app and everything. We don't want to be like uh, what's mentioned in the Bible about looking and forgetting, like we forget what we look like in a mirror and just walk away. You know, we need to think on the Lord, meditate on what he's telling you. Be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to your life. In Hebrews 12:3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So think on the Lord. Let him be a part of your thoughts and your life all day, every day. I work for the Assemblies of God. So in my office, you know, I got a lot of people that are there. They'll pray for you in a moment's notice. And I know not everybody has that luxury in the workplace. I do have that. But guess what? Things, things, uh, you know, sometimes we have some messes there. Sometimes I have a really frustrating day. You know, uh, that kind of thing. It, you're, nobody's immune to that. So you got to think on the Lord. Even, even in a place like that, uh, we've got to think and just keep our eyes fixed on what would, what would the Lord have me do? Lord, check my spirit when I'm kind of going off, off the rails here. Think on the Lord. Keep your mind. Um, and let it be like the mind of Christ. Just think on him and how he would handle something. Or remember, I'm not in this alone. The Lord's with me. He has a plan. So trust. Throw off the weights. Run the race. Unite with Jesus. Stay the course. Think on the Lord. That's how we can get through those times. Right now, we're all together going through this transition time. And uh, I got to tell you, this morning I woke up and got on my Bible app. And do you know, I don't know if anybody else uses that version Bible app. I, I brought it up. And do you know, it looked different. They changed the format a little bit. And I was like, oh, you know, but I know that happens. That happens, you know, but it was like it caught me off guard. My husband was a little bit more vocal about it. What's this? What they do? Everything looks different. I can't find my app, you know. He's, I said, yo, they changed it. Why? Why do they do this? Uh, because it does. It, there's, there's things. So transitions. Having to get used to something different is not fun, usually. Usually. We, we kind of resist the change, okay, no matter what it is. So we're going through a transition as a church. Let's not be discouraged. It's easy to, I don't know, I don't know what's happening. And, and Brandon gave you an update today, and we will sure continue to do that because it's a process, and it is a process we believe that is laid out by the Lord, and we're following that. Um, but it is. It's like, well, what are we doing? What's happening? I, you know, who are we going to get? Uh, for a while, it was who's going to be our interim. Good questions, fair questions. But let's let's not let's know this is a transition. But guess what? For the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, Journey Church. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay. So we think about that as a as a body here, as a church family here. And a lot of you have been here a long time, and you've been through a lot, and you know God has a plan, and he doesn't give up. But also for each of us personally, God is saying, for I know the plans I have for you. 
declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, there are sometimes life gets rocky or it gets real uncertain and you're like, what's happening? I've had times in my life where I felt like the whole bottom was just pulled out from underneath me. Okay, but you know what? What sustained me is knowing whose hand was under that. I didn't fall and drop. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. That's encouragement for now, even if we're in the midst of hard times. I don't know where everybody is here, but I know what life is like. And we could be going through a really sweet time, and hallelujah, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you hope and future. And we can go through times that are a little uncertain. And that's when we say, for I know the plans the Lord has for me, plans for a hope and a future. We can know that. So that's where we see the deeper meaning of, of this passage of Scripture. They were not being told that at the end of a, you know, a journey or at the beginning of something really happy. They were being told this after they were told, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. But it's like, but take heart. You know, God was not surprised. He planned this. Why? Because he knew what was going to be best for them for eternity. I have a plan, plan to give you hope and a future. We can trust the Lord. We don't have to dread the hard times. We can persevere, and we can even flourish. This could be the greatest growth for each one of us. If, we're, if you're going through a rough time personally, or you're going through this, this could be a time of great growth and maturity. As I was preparing this, I was just kind of doing some searches, and I, I came across a quote, and I want to close with this today. Author Mary DeMuth, and, and I'm going to confess I had not heard of her, and I did a little research, because just because someone's an author, just because so, someone says they're a Christian author, does not mean, you know, you just you have to look. But I, I was reading um, about her and stuff, and she had a quote in a, a blog or something that she writes, and she was commenting on this part of the scriptures, and she said, yes, God knows the plans he has for us, and ultimately, he will give us a glorious future. But as we walk out our lives on this crazy earth, let's remember that the best growth comes through persevering through trials, persevering through trials, not escaping them entirely. Wait, we don't want to hear that, do we? But the best growth comes from persevering through trials, not escaping them entirely. And when we learn perseverance, we find surprising joy. I just, I loved that, that quote there. When we learn perseverance, we find surprising joy. I have found that to be true in my life. Would that I would remember that every time, you know, instead of, instead of going through any kind of turmoil or something. When we're enduring, then we are going to find surprising joy. That song uh, that, that we've sung here too, though the sorrow may last for a night, his joy comes in the morning. We can trust in that. God is faithful and true, and he loves you. He loves me. He is not going to destroy or crush you. He is not. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We just close our eyes and just pray and thank the Lord. Father God, we just love you. There is no one else that we can trust 
like we can trust you, Lord. I want to thank you because I have a lot of friends and family, Lord, that are just solid that you have blessed me with, Father God. Uh, people right here in this room, Lord, and I just thank you for that. But beyond that, I thank you for you and your faithfulness, your steadfastness, your great love. I can't even imagine how much your love is for me, for each one of us here, Father God. I pray, Lord, that we would look to you, that we would trust, Lord God. We would throw off those weights. Lord God, we would run that race, unite with you, stay the course, and think on you daily, hourly, every minute, Lord, if we have to. Father God, I pray, Lord, that we be comforted and encouraged by your passage, Lord, your word that says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. Lord God, in you we trust, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father God. In Jesus' mighty and incredible name we pray. Amen. And thank you for being here. If there's anything I can pray with you about, uh, I'll, you, please come to me. I'll be glad to pray with you. Before you leave, please take a moment and have a look at those those uh, questionnaires there and, and see if you can't fill that out. We sure do love you and appreciate all of you. You have a great week. Enjoy the weather.